Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. There are a few basic skills parents are taught before they leave the hospital. Bathing, breastfeeding, wrapping. One thing we're not taught in hospital is basic first aid. And fair enough too, there's a lot to think about in those first weeks. Sarah Hunstead is a former paediatric emergency nurse and the founding director of CPR Kids. She's here to give us some basic tips on first aid for babies so you can feel more confident at home. Hi Sarah, how are you? I'm well. There's nothing quite like a baby with a temperature to freak out a new parent. What is considered a high temperature for a baby? What's very interesting is that we're not so worried about what a high temperature is. We really need to define fever. So a fever, which is when the body heats itself up to kill any virus or bacteria in there, so it's controlled by the brain. It's not an external heat. It's an internal heat. It's defined as a temperature measured, usually by a digital thermometer under the arm, of above 38 degrees. Okay. Okay. So what is uh, this fever thing? Because this is what I learned from you many moons ago, and I think it changed the way I looked at it. So you could have a baby and the fever is at 38 degrees, um, and then you start to worry. What's actually going on in that baby at that time? So it's actually quite amazing. Like, I find this so interesting. (laughs) People are going, yeah, here we go, here we go. (laughs) So what it is is that we've got our temperature-regulating centre in our brain. And if you imagine it's kind of like a thermostat, and it's normal for it to go up and down over the day, but it's kind of in a set limit, usually between around 36.5 to 37.5, somewhere around there. It goes up and down throughout the day, depending on what we're doing. And it's, it's just, you know, keeps our body happy. All our cells like to be in that certain environment. But what happens is, is when a virus or a bacteria enters our body, our body goes, whoa, hang on a sec. And it elicits an immune response to try and kill that virus or bacteria. So we have all of our little fighter cells and all that kind of stuff, you know, going release into our bloodstream. And that sends signals to our brain going, hey, guys, we got some invaders here. We don't want them there. We need to get rid of these guys. And there are lots of things that the body does, but one of them is is it resets that thermostat in the brain. So instead of it, you know, sitting between somewhere 36.5 to 37.5, it elevates it. So it may sit, you know, maybe between, you know, I'm just picking random numbers here, but maybe between 37.5 to 39, somewhere around there. And so that's when our body heats up to try and kill that virus or bacteria. And I'm going to challenge everybody out here. People are going to feel uncomfortable about this. But fever is a good thing. (laughs) Unless you're feeling it. No, it's still a good thing. It's still a good thing. So um, how should we respond to it? If we, let's just say, all we've done is notice our child is hot Mm -hmm. and we've put the thermometer under their arm and let's say they're Mm 48.5. So... One other thing I'm going to challenge you with is it's not about the number. It's about looking at your child. But (laughs) there's a huge but here, and that is the age of your baby. If your baby is under three months of age and they have a temperature above 38 degrees, 
they need medical review. So they need to be seen reasonably quickly. You don't wait all night because they have really immature immune systems. And so that's why under three months, they've got a fever, off to get medical help. Okay. So, But above three months, I'm going to challenge you here. It's not about the number. It's about looking at your child. So if they are, you know, tolling around, they're drinking well, they've got good wet nappies, maybe they're a little bit miserable, you know, they've got that runny nose, they've got a bit of a cold and they've got a fever, but otherwise you're thinking, oh, yeah, no, they're okay. They're all right. You know what? They probably are no matter what that number is on the thermometer. Whereas if they are lethargic, they're not drinking, they're sleeping more than usual, they have less wet nappies than usual, you know, if they've got any difficulty breathing, but, you know, that maybe they've got a colour change, so they're a lot more pale or maybe they're a little bit mottled, that's something to worry about. So it's about looking at your child as a whole. And a really good example of that is my two kids, they had strep throat Uh, once they were both I think they were two and three at the time and yes you can do the maths and yes that's close together (laughs) yes it is yes it is (laughs) so but with them one of them the older one had a temperature of 38.2 she couldn't lift her head off the pillow she was so sick I had to wake her to have sips of water and I realized she hadn't weed in about 12 hours I was really worried about her the other one She had a temperature of 40.2. She was, mummy, more pepper pig. Mummy, more ice blocks. So, you know, I wasn't as worried about her. Yes, she was certain, you know, she's the child who's running around like a cyclone. For her to actually sit down and watch the TV was unusual. (laughs) But it just shows that it's about looking at your child as a whole. Which one was I more worried about? The one with the lower temperature, who was a lot sicker. She ended up in hospital on IV antibiotics. The younger one, she just needed some antibiotics for her bacterial infection, but she stayed home. Okay. Before we move on to a couple of things, when we're talking about first aid, I know when you're talking about that fever thing, I remember my daughter being under three months and there was a point where um, she had a high temperature and I thought she was very floppy and freaked out and we drove straight to the emergency. Um, And the whole way along there, uh, this is my first baby, the whole way I was thinking, I'm 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 high, I'm overreacting. Like I know she's floppy, and but maybe we're going to get there. It's emergency. It's a very serious place to take a child, and 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 maybe they're going to get cross with me. You've been in uh, the paediatric department of an in emergency in hospitals. What would you say to a parent whose gut instinct saying there's something wrong with my child, but then they're thinking, oh, maybe I'm overreacting? Oh, trust your gut. Absolutely trust your gut. If you have that floppy child, particularly, you know, that baby with a fever under three months, you go to your nearest emergency department. Trust your gut. If your child is floppy, you're having difficulty rousing them, if they're having breathing problems, call an ambulance. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? The ambulance comes and says everything's okay. Obviously, we do get a lot of calls and a lot of presentations that don't need to be there. But if your child, you know, certainly under the age of three months, they're floppy, they've got a fever. Yes, you need very, you need urgent medical help. Even if they're over three months, you're having difficulty rousing them. Call an ambulance. 
Okay, I just wanted to put that out there because I know some people are very confident with that stuff and others can feel very unsure about whether they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But I remember you saying you would never complain about a parent who was worried. Mm -hmm. And that gut instinct thing is really interesting. Okay, so moving on to skin. A baby's skin is very fresh and new. Is there any way to tell when a rash is something normal to baby skin or when you need to see a doctor? Yeah, absolutely. So once again, it's about thinking away from just the rash. We can often focus on what's obvious in front of our eyes, but let's look at our entire child. If they are perfectly happy, they're doing all the right things, then it's probably something that you need to go get checked out at the GP. But if they are having other symptoms, so they have a rash and a fever, that they are having, you know, that floppiness, that refusing to feed, that less wet nappies, and that's something to be much more concerned about. Often parents worried about a uh, meningococcal rash. So they worry about, um, there's lots of uh, resources out there on the internet as well that can show you pictures of this particular rash. In my experience, what I can say is that often we will see an incredibly sick child before that particular meningococcal rash does come out. So you do see these other symptoms first. Of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. However, when I do talk about a meningococcal rash, I mean that rash when you press on it and it doesn't go away, the glass test. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, jump on the internet Look up the glass test on some good websites, though. Go to, you know, your state's hospital fact sheet page with meningococcal. That'll have some really good information for you. But as I said, that's not the first thing you're looking for. It's going to be that sick child that you're going to see first. Okay. You have seen a lot of burns uh, as a nurse and and probably as a mum as well. Um, What kinds of burns are you likely to see in summer? So in summer, we still get the hot water scalds. So those hot cups of tea and coffee over the child. And certainly they're the most common burns that we see in kids. Other things that we do see in summer are little hands onto barbecues, particularly the ones at the park. They get quite hot as well. And if you are out camping, one thing that we do see often as well is when people have actually put campfires out with sand and they're not in designated areas those embers can stay hundreds of degrees for 8 12 hours after the fire has been put out and so little kids running across that is really really dangerous you'll they'll get terrible foot burns so always put your campfire out with water for a start and when you've got your little one around not drinking hot drinks over the top of bub Make sure that they're not in your arms while you're doing that. Keep the lid securely on top of your reusable cup as well. And just think about things around your home. What can they reach? Can Are they starting to pull themselves up and they can pull grandma's tablecloth with the hot cups of tea on it? Think about those things around your home. And if your child does burn themselves, mm-hmm. what's the first response? 
first thing you need to do is you need to remove the clothing. So especially with babies, if they've pulled that uh, hot cup of tea, or, you know, maybe their face, their chest, then we actually need to remove their clothes and their nappy too. Because if that liquid has gone down inside their nappy, then that can cause terrible genital burns because nappies are designed to actually absorb liquid and, and stay warm. So that's not a good thing. Next thing we're going to do is that we will also remove any jewellery or anything like that that's on the burned area. We're going to keep the unburned areas warm and put the burned area under cool running tap water for 20 minutes. Yes. Okay. So um, that can be challenging, can't it? Absolutely it can because you will have a child who, especially if it's a superficial burn, which, uh, you know, not as bad, they are ridiculous ridiculously painful so you will have a screaming child who does not want that burned area held under the water so you need pain relief and you need distraction and after a while they often will realize that oh hang on a sec that actually feels better under the water and if it's a burn to their face rather than holding their face <laughs> under a tap my oh, jeez that'd have freaked me out if somebody did that to me using a spray bottle is really good so obviously not one that's had your household cleaners in it that's not a good idea put a spray bottle you can get them from woolies you can get them from anywhere um, hardware stores supermarkets and keep that in your first aid kit so you can gently spray that onto burned areas as well and after that 20 minutes what should we do so if the skin is disrupted so if the skin is peeling if it's blistered then you need to go and get medical help go to your nearest emergency department because burn scar and scars don't grow we need a really good proper burns dressing and assessment particularly on burns on kids and if you look at it and it's maybe just a touch red the skin's fine great fantastic but if in doubt always get medical help if you're not sure ring up your health direct or whatever is in your state the advice line but any burn that's blistered skin is disrupted needs to be seen medically what should we not do? What kind of myths have you seen appear in the emergency department where you've gone, you really shouldn't have done that? Yeah, we're putting creams and things like that on top of burns. So I've seen everything from strawberry jam to toothpaste. Oh, my God. Yeah, because often people think, oh, menthol, menthol is cooling. Menthol's in toothpaste. Let's put that on a burn. No, do not put anything... <laughs> on top of the burn. Don't go MacGyver. No, don't do it. Because what will happen is, is that we will need in the hospital to take that off to actually, and it, to scrub it off. It is so hard to do. We need to be able to see the tissue underneath. It can cause more problems, certainly egg whites or honey, you know, home remedies as well. On an open wound, it can cause terrible infections. So don't do that. Don't put anything over the top. Just put a non-stick dressing or some loose Glad Wrap over the top and seek medical help. Oh, my goodness. No toothpaste on burns, people. Please, if no. you're listening to this, don't ever do that. What first aid should all parents do? I, I chose some examples that I knew you could talk about, but obviously there are some first aid responses that you really need to be taught in person or by seeing someone do it. Yeah, the top two, without a doubt, CPR and choking first aid. 
CPR, you know what, it's really unlikely you are ever going to need it. But my goodness, you want those skills if you ever did. With CPR, it's not about bringing somebody back to life. It's about being the pump and circulating that blood and oxygen around to their brain so that if the cause can be fixed, then you've given them the best chance possible at a good outcome. So knowing that is a no-brainer. You have to know that as a parent. It's, I think it's every parent's responsibility. And also knowing what to do for choking, because I tell you what, these kids, they love to shove everything in their mouth. And they don't listen to you. No. They run around with stuff in there. They are just a walking choking hazard. <laughs> so knowing what to do is really important. And, of course, um, you now have online courses for some of this We do, absolutely. CPR and Choking First Aid is on the CPR Kids website. You can sign up to that and we do face-to-face courses as well. And I've got to say, um, as someone who is a hypochondriac and freaks out about this stuff, being getting updated, I love that you've got it online now because in my mind when you're saying that, I'm like, I need to get my CPR skills updated. I've done it, but I feel like I've forgotten it. So that's the way you can revisit it. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. That's Sarah Hunstead, founding director of CPR Kids. And if you'd like to find out more information about those online courses, we'll put links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.